My next guest has made a big impression in the short time he's been at Ulster. Mick Corney has enjoyed a great rugby career, playing for over a decade at Connaught, Leinster and Zebra, as well as for Ireland under-20s, most recently, of course, joining Ulster. So Mick caught the eye during his time at Ulster and his distinctive blue scrum cap is exactly what Ulster needed, vast amounts of experience, energy and physicality. Mick has been enormously popular wherever he's gone and recently decided to hang up his boots, prompting an outpouring of affection from all corners of the rugby community he's been involved with. So Mick, before we get into the interview, how are you and how are you enjoying this stage of life as you begin to think about what comes next? Yeah, good. Firstly, obviously, thanks for having me on. Um, that's a, it's a very flattering intro. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's all completely true, but but I'll take it anyway. Um, but no, things things are good. You know, I think for for a lot of people who um, a lot of rugby players or professional athletes who are hanging up hanging up their boots or you know um, finishing up their craft, um, this can be seen as quite a daunting time. But uh, you know, I suppose when when I got back from Italy and finished up at Zebra, it kind of set a date in my own head as to. Um, when when I would finish up if a really good opportunity didn't come along and you know thankfully obviously the opportunity to go up to Ulster came along which is a, it's a massive massive European club um so you know the last the last 12 months I, I knew this would be my last year um so I I really really enjoyed every day but uh it, it was a great opportunity to kind of think of what I might be doing next tell me a bit more about um that decision then to to call it a day like you're you've plenty more in you and that was obvious from watching you play you had some great performances for Ulster and you've been playing at the top level for over a decade why now why not go and and play you've been you've traveled and uh, from the sounds of it had a great time playing rugby why now and what made that decision for you um I I suppose the the big one for me I know rugby is a you only get a short crack at it in terms of how long you might be able to play um but i'm just really looking forward to being home um i wouldn't have been one who's who's gotten homesick in the past but you know i spent i spent five years in connacht um then i got the opportunity to come back to leinster and I, I had a period here back in dublin which i really enjoyed then the opportunity went to went to go to italy and you know uh with, with covid it was a difficult time for everyone um but I suppose I found that found that period particularly tough in terms of being being away from home and being away from family, and it just it really made me appreciate actually, you know, being at home and and being close to loved ones and stuff like that. Now I know Ulster is only it's only two like two hours up the road or an hour and forty five minutes up the road, but um, you know, the the idea of of going away to France or going away to Japan or one of these places now just just doesn't really appeal to me too much, um, and. Unfortunately, there's there's no real opportunities in Ireland, uh, so I I wouldn't want to uh, I would want to hang on for another kind of three or four months and, and train professionally for the opportunity to maybe to go into uh, another Irish environment and not not really make an impact from a playing point of view, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So um, you're you're. Uh, from Dublin originally, is that right? So is it sort of y- your family down there? And what's your situation? What's your family situation here? I've, I've, I suppose that's a big sacrifice. 
to make the travel and go to Italy and, and and come up to Ulster, albeit it, <laughs> Ulster slightly less far from home. But in Irish terms, it's a it's a big distance, you know, and it's 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 far enough that you obviously just can't call home or whatever, and uh, you just can't drop in. It's a bit of a trek down the road. So, um, what, what is your what is your situation, and who do you, who do you sort of uh, who would be going home to, as it were, down in Dublin? So I've. I'm I'm absolutely blessed. I have an unbelievably supportive family. Um and you know, my my brother at the moment is is playing golf professionally. Um so he's he's kind of on the road the whole time. Dad is dad in recent times has been has been caddying for him. Um and then myself, my golf girlfriend are we're expecting our first child now in four weeks' time. Oh, congratulations. Uh, Amazing. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> But she's she's a school teacher in Dublin, um. So it's made the kind of last the last twelve months or so a little bit tricky in terms of kind of being up and down the road a bit more than you know we maybe would have planned. Obviously, if if the baby wasn't coming along, uh, you know we would have we would have been probably up in Belfast a bit more. But you know we we both been keen to have Emma kind of close to her family and close to her support network during this time, you know. Yeah, yeah. So your life will change immeasurably in a number of ways uh, fairly fairly soon. So uh, you'll become a dad and I suppose just more opportunities will, will come your way now and the world is your oyster. You're no, no longer constrained by sort of the, the rigours of playing professional rugby. So I, I suppose now you've had a wee bit of time, um, not, not very much time, uh, granted, but you've made the announcement, and I suppose you you've maybe had time to sit back, and maybe get a bit of perspective on your career, look back, and have we think about having played for more than a decade at, at, at the top level. Whenever you look back on that, how does it make you feel? Uh, is there is it a sense of 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 pride? Is there any regret mixed into that? Or tell me a wee bit more about sort of your that initial perspective that you get whenever you you announce your retirement um yeah i think uh, I, th- I think by just by the nature of you know rugby players and the nature of, of professional athletes is for me anyway when i announced retirement i f- still felt that there was there was loads more that that i could have done you know i felt that there was there was I could have pushed myself harder at, at certain times, you know. Um, but o- overall, overall, I'm I'm happy with the innings. Um, naturally, as I said, like like a lot of guys, I would have would love to win more, would love to play more, um, would love to do a couple of things differently. But uh, you know, I I wouldn't I wouldn't dwell on it too much either. Uh, yeah. You know, it's just it's just one just one of those things. You look back, and for me. I can't actually remember a huge amount of the games. I can remember like five or six games, but like I can remember 90% of, of the nights out, <laughs> you know, like remember yeah. all the, all the, all the great change rooms. Like, I, you know, I can remember all the, all the great guys that, that I met along the way. Yeah. Um, like the games are, are in there and the games are great. And, you know, at the time there's a, there's a special connection you get with guys through those really hard games. But, you know, if I played whatever, close to 200 games, I'd say I can remember 10 of them that really stand out, you know, which probably isn't great. <laughs> well, I mean, that that stuff, uh, the stuff you're talking about is the important stuff, isn't it? Um, the relationships and the friendships that you make along the way. And I, re- I really was struck, I said in your intro, you know, um, 
enormously popular character and it, it really struck me whenever you retired the comments and the the outpouring of of well wishers you know who uh, from every club that you'd been at they didn't do you know the way some people retire and there's the obligatory oh well done but it wasn't like that for you it was a lot of people from every club you'd been involved at not just being like best of luck it was like mix a legend a uh, absolutely love this guy great lad a great competitor on the field but even better lad <laughs> tell me a bit more about the relationships you made who are your, who are your best sort of friends in rugby and and what was it like i suppose going around the different provinces you're you've all but one irish province plus italy as well tell me a bit about the relationships in those different places <laughs> yeah you just you know it's kind of it's kind of french friendship through hardship in a sense you know like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna paint professional rugby as being this unbelievably tough thing because you know it's like there's days where you're finished at one or two o'clock you know <laughs> then you have day off the next day don't be wrong the four or five hours that you're working are tough but like outside of that they're not you know you're, you're kind of resting like or you're trying to get yourself right for the following training day um in terms in terms of the the relationships and the friendships that i've that i've managed to make uh over my career um like i always just try to work as as hard as i possibly could um and you know, there was maybe times where, where I overdid it from a training point of view and maybe pushed pushed a small bit too hard. Um, and the best friends that were the guys that I suppose I was most drawn to in in the clubs uh, that I was in, they had similar they had similar attitudes, you know. Um, so like when I was when I was in Connacht, it would have been you know Jason Harris Wright, Sean Henry, Andrew Brown, uh, Ronan Lockney these guys who were just, they, they just worked unbelievably hard, you know, Matt Healy, like great professionals, you know, and for me, I, I wanted to be, I wanted to be like them, you know, I was aspiring to, to be like them, like Johnny O'Connor as well as someone I throw in the mix. I was, he was one of the older guys when I was coming in, I was only a young lad. Then in Leinster, it would have been, you know, Ed Byrne, Jack Conan, Keane Healy, uh, Mike McCarthy in, in Leinster as well. Like the, like everyone in those organizations were were great pros. You know, they looked after themselves unbelievably well. And then, you know, Zebra Zebra was was a real eye-opener, you know, because I was probably going across there thinking, geez, these lads, like it, it has to be, it has to be, you know, something with the players. Like the players have to be off from an attitude point of view, or you know. That, that was my own perception like naively going over and that's why they're maybe not winning the games or they're not they're not successful but like I encountered some of the like, some of those hard working genuine lads you'd ever meet you know and you can see now like these guys have like a few of them moved on to premiership clubs like Joe Zuzalaki uh, Danilo Fischetti you know Luca Bijo, Renato Giammairoli like unbelievable pros you know um, some, but sometimes the, the environment just isn't maybe isn't where it needs to be for for the group to perform you know and yeah. then Ulster like Jesus Ulster is like it's it's absolutely teeming with with top pros you know like I I felt under serious pressure when I first arrived to kind of up my game from professionalism professionalism point of view like you know you've, you've Mikey Lowry Ian Madigan James Hume Al O'Connor like 
Dwayne's obviously come in. It's it's a great mix of like young young and old guys who just are constantly pushing themselves from a from a training and from a professionalism point of view, and just makes makes the whole group good. Puts pressure on anyone coming in. As I said, when I first came in, I knew it was going to be at a like a high standard and high level, but I was going, "Geez, Mick, you need to you need to get your act together here," you know. And I felt like I I was working hard up to that point anyway, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's really interesting to hear about sort of the different the different vibes, the different atmosphere uh, that you get at each province and and in Italy as well, of course. So, in terms of those differences, we're talking in terms of fans, setup, structure. You, you alluded to it a wee bit there, but I mean, between among those different places that you've played, what are the the major differences? Do you know, as, as I say, in terms of setup, professionalism, and structure, and and even what the fans are like as well? And no pressure. This is an Ulster rugby <laughs> sort of fan podcast, but no pressure to. It sounds like you, you had a really good experience, but um, I suppose you're, you're you're now free to speak openly. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> no, look. The, to be honest with you, the the Irish the Irish system is is unmatched. You know, obviously, I, I was only I was only only in Italy, but I have a few friends who are kind of playing in the Prem and stuff like that. And like how well the Irish teams are sported. You know, you look at like a, a derby match in any of the provinces. You know, like derby match in Sports Ground, derby match at Tone Park, der, derby match in the RDS, derby match in in the Kingspan, like the, the following and the support is just unbelievable. Like it's off the charts. Like obviously I, I was, I was over in Zebra and, you know, to be, to be certain, certain games where you were wondering if, if ticket sales were actually happening, you know, um, but from a, from, from an environment point of view, same implies like the I- Irish players, like, and, Irish setups. Firstly, the setup looks after the players unbelievably well. It actually it puts everything in place for them to be as professional as they could possibly be. You know, there's no there's no grey areas. It's not like like uh, for example, Ulster brought in Darren Mulvaney this year as sports psychologist, and he's been he's been incredible for the group. You know, and I know Leinster have a sports psychologist as well as do Connacht, as do Munster. Um, and they're the kind of they're the kind of one percenters that that get the Irish provinces into semi-finals and into quarter-finals. Um, and I, I suppose from from the Italian point of view, uh, I feel very lucky to have had that experience because when I went there, I'd left Leinster, who, you know, they'd won the league and they'd lost the final of the Champions Cup. And again, as I said, I was going to Italy thinking, all right, well, this is going to be this way because of this. Whereas when I got there, that just... That, that just wasn't the case, you know, it was just, it was a case that in Leinster and in Ulster and the other Irish provinces, they all have a common goal. Everyone's pushing in the same direction. Whereas in Italy, that, that common goal was maybe, was maybe lacking a small bit more. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, and Italy, I suppose, they've had their ups and downs as a, you know, the national team. And uh, I suppose that's some indication of how Italian rugby's, um, how, how it's progressing or how it's getting on and it's I suppose there was there was sort of an early promise that they would transform into this great national te- team and the provinces would sort of w- with the provinces getting better the national team will get better and it has been 
a bit of a roller coaster for them. So it's really interesting to hear um, your your perspective on that. And just in terms of what you're saying there about the sports psychology aspect of things, and uh, Ulster getting a psychologist sort of in house on board to to add that extra one percent. Tell me a wee bit more about the mental side of the game. Is that something that I mean, I've spoken to different players and they talk about the endless cycle of playing um, and the pressure of, of literally performing in front of the fans and then the pressure of performing in training and then the pressure of wanting to get picked. Is that something which really took its toll on you over the years? Is that something that you'll miss? Part of you might miss being constantly judged. <laughs> As weird as that sounds. Um, it, is that something that you're really looking forward to on the other hand, that you can finally relax for once? Yeah, like without being too cliched about it, like I think I think pressure is a privilege. You know, we're the, the job we have, there is there is a there's a massive amount of pressure. Early in my career anyway, I would have I would have been a lot a lot worse than I am now in terms of how hard it hit me, you know. Um like the way the like the, the way the cycle worked in my head was like, okay, let's say starting on a Monday, teams named have a training day Monday, teams named on Tuesday, you're picked. Crest of wave, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, get to Friday, the game's on Saturday. You start getting nervous. You start getting really nervous. You know, in your own mind, you're going through how the game's gonna go, how you're gonna do things. You're going to play really well. Hopefully, get to Saturday. The nerves are like for me. It was crippling would be the wrong word, but it was definitely you're thinking, Jesus Christ! I I really hope this goes well, and I really hope this goes well. Games played, and it either goes one or two ways. You either play really well, or else you don't play as well as you would have liked. So, like, game's over. If you don't play as well as you would have liked, then you're in pretty bad form, or you're not in the best mood until the review on Monday. You have the review on Monday. Uh, if you haven't played well, you're obviously getting a bit of a rinse in there, which is the way it should be. Tuesday comes around, you're not picked. And then, you know, the cycle just more or less repeats itself, except in a, a more kind of crappy way, you know? Whereas if you played well on the Saturday, you're flying. Sunday is like, there's no better feeling. Change room after you played really well. You're, you know, you're in unbelievable form going Monday reviews gone well, you're getting pats on the back, unreal, picked on Tuesday. And then, you know, that cycle obviously repeats until the next game, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah. in terms of, sorry to answer your question, in terms of how I would have dealt with it when I when I was a bit younger, if I was having the shit week, I would have just gone, I would have just gone into training. So if there was a day off on Wednesday, I would have gone in and I would have just, I would have fairly flogged myself on that Wednesday. Yeah. Um, just to kind of, get to be a bit of an endorphin release or to I suppose get that uh frustration out you know um but coming to the end then come to the, like closer to the end uh you see you just see it as more of an enjoyment thing so I'm just gonna try and enjoy this as best I can you know I'm gonna go out I'm gonna play mistakes are gonna happen just you know I suppose I I always had a thing of trying to be as close to the ball as I could so if I've made a mistake or something hasn't gone wrong, my trigger to get back into things is just close to the ball. Because if you're if you're close to the action, the likelihood of being in the action is is fairly high, you know. Yeah, yeah, and it's so so basic, but great advice for any young players listening: get close to the ball, get back in the game, 
and not not the dwell on mistakes. And it's really interesting what you're talking about there. How I suppose early in your career and uh, your performances and your even your performances in training, whether you got picked, whatever, that defined you as a person almost. It's so all consuming this career, this professional sports career that. Um, it comes to it comes to define the, the the person that you are, um, and I suppose you talked about there about the, as you progress through your career, you got older, more mature, and your perspective on that changed. Maybe you didn't flog yourself for the sake of it's almost like punishment, you know, like right, didn't have a good game, absolutely flog myself in training, feel like I'm worthy to be part of the team again. Tell me. I mean, I speaking to Harry Sheridan recently, speaks very highly of you. He said you were um, really helpful to him whenever he came into the squad. And it's so good to hear. What's sort of the advice that you would give to any young players, in particular young second rows, I suppose, coming up, uh, uh, second rows or back rows, coming up uh, through the ranks at Ulster or trying to make it as a professional? Yeah. You know, look, second row is it's a work rate position. You know, obviously there's been there's there's a couple of outliers coming out now in terms of the likes of Ryan Baird and and you know James Ryan, Treaders, Hendy, you know, Ulton Land, these guys who are unbelievably dynamic, as well as as well as having the work rate, you know. But the, the best advice I can probably give to a young second row, if they're at home watching rugby like if they're at home watching games. Try and watch the game as a coach. What the more you can understand the game, the more of an impact you can have on it when you're actually playing. You know, it'll it'll increase your your anticipation, your awareness. You know, because the the more you can be in the right place at the right time, the more effective you're going to be for the team. And um, that obviously comes through playing as many games as you can. You know, any opportunity you can get to play a game, take it. Um, and that that was, you know, that was always my, I suppose, uh, approach to it coming up. You know, practicing stuff and training is great and all that, but, you know, if, you, if you're not playing, you're not playing. Um, so that that was, in, term, in terms of Harry coming in, I didn't have to give him a huge amount of advice, to be honest. I think he's very, being very generous, like he's, for, for his age anyway he's he's a cracking pro he's a good athlete looks after himself trains hard um and just just keeps his head down puts his head down works hard and that's always going to endear you to to a group of guys um and i think he's he's done that really well yeah yeah well he's undoubtedly got a big future ahead of him um obviously in that ulster squad from a fan's perspective it's pretty special i'm sure you got that sense um, having been part an important part of the squad and tell me a bit more about sort of what ambitions this team can have so suppose we went out of Europe which is disappointing we're still in URC in terms of looking forward and you mentioned a few names earlier you mentioned Hume and Lowry I mean how special is this squad what do you think their potential is if that's not too I suppose that's a pretty difficult question but um, from your perspective, what what are they capable of? Do you think? Ah, it's, it's an unbelievable group, guys. It's entirely up to themselves. If I'm being totally honest, um, as as I alluded to earlier, I was lucky to be in Leinster when when we managed to win the double, and lucky enough to to be there when uh, 
when when we won the Pro 14 and and obviously lost that final. And I don't see, I could be not naive now, but I don't see a massive difference between that Leinster squad then and this Ulster squad now. You know, in terms of age demographic, in terms of the ability of the players, uh, in terms of experience in the right places, like there's there's absolutely nothing stopping this group from going on to obviously you know win the URC firstly, um, and then you know make make great strides in Europe as well. It's just a it's a, it's a special group of guys, and they're they're unbelievably tight off the pitch as well, which in my opinion is is the most important thing. You know, you can't you can't get to know a guy on the pitch if you don't know him off the pitch. And that's that's a massive point of difference for me in terms of where this Ulster group is at. That's that's so interesting. And it's it's really reassuring as a fan. So I've spoken to um recently uh, I've spoken to David Humphreys, I've spoken to uh, Jan Cunningham and Mark Blair and Andy Ward, all these guys who won the, the European Cup in 99. And they said exactly what you're saying now is that, that I always ask them that question, what made that squad so special? And what they always come back with is they were friends off the pitch. They were a tight-knit group. They all sort of hung out socially um, and there was a bond between them. And so to hear that there's that type of atmosphere behind the scenes as, as fans, we don't get access to that, or we don't know what the dynamics are. So it's really good to hear that it's a tight knit group. And again, like as fans, you see things through rose tinted glasses, but you've been part of that setup, and you see that there's something special this squad, and that's exciting to hear as a fan. You know, um, uh, we can go on and compete at the top level in Europe because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. You want to have, you want to. You want to make memories. Rugby is about entertainment for us as fans, and and you want to you obviously want to to see your team win. So, oh, I'm excited now. You've uh, you, <laughs> that's very encouraging to hear. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I want to go. I want to backtrack a wee bit and ask you what made you so passionate about rugby in the first place. It was sort of skimmed over your early early life there. Tell me, wh- who was your inspiration? Sort of growing up, did you have? either within rugby or uh, maybe even outside of that was your, who inspired you and, and and encouraged you into the game uh yeah so my uh like like a lot of players um my dad was was a massive inspiration um so he's he's an entrepreneur he set up set up his own business um, and he would have brought me down i sorry off the back of that i, w- I would have seen him just working unbelievably hard you know, from from a pretty young age, you know, just putting in putting in unbelievably long hours. Uh, so, and he would have played rugby. He would have played rugby till he was thirty five or thirty six as well. And um, so he brought me down to Clontarf um, at a young age, under under sevens or under sixes. Um, and you know, I was just I was just immediately bitten by the bug. Then there was definitely there was a few years there in the middle, maybe under tens, under elevens, where it wasn't quite my cup of tea then. But he he just kept on me, just kept kept dragging me down. Every time I was there, I was you know enjoying myself, making friends, having a ball. Um, so did did Clontarf up until um, up until you know senior level. But went to went to school in Mount Temple, which wouldn't really be seen as a as a rugby nursery. Um, in Dublin, uh, they would have it's it's a public public non fee paying school. Um, had a rugby team, but 
we weren't weren't up to much, weren't particularly good. So whilst I played there, playing rugby in Clonturf the whole way up, um I owe a huge amount to them. They're they're the ones who kind of, I suppose, gave me the opportunity to get into into those underage underage setups in Leinster. Um got to got to under twenties with Leinster, um, got selected for Ireland under twenties. And then, you know, like like a lot of Leinster guys, I was I really wanted to get into the academy there. Like that was my that was my Everest at the time. I was thinking, I'll get in here now and I'll play for Leinster and then I'll hopefully play for Ireland. And that was the the goal setting process. Um and then I was getting ready to go to the Junior World Cup and Leinster turned around and said in no uncertain terms, look, it's just it's just not not the right time. Uh, and looking back on it now and looking at it a bit then, not like not so much. I was a bit more biased back then, but like there was there was some great second rows in Leinster at the time, you know, particularly around my age. Like there was Mark Flanagan, there was Kieran Ruddock. Um from an academy point of view, there was Owen Sheriff. Uh, then at senior level, there was like Trevor Hogan, Nathan Hines, uh Leo, like all, all these kind of guys who uh they were they were top of their game. They were unbelievable operators. Um, and then I, I was lucky. I was lucky that, that Connacht picked up the phone. They they seen seen something, thankfully. Um, so I went across. I met, met Nigel Carlin, uh, who was the academy manager at the time. He's in Glasgow now. He's doing a great job. Uh, Jimmy Duffy was the forwards academy manager who, who went on to coach Connacht uh, as a forwards coach for a long time. Dan... McFarlane was the was the senior forwards coach at the time, and Eric Elwood was the was the head coach. Um, so they said, "Look, there there is an academy contract if you want it." And looking back on it now, it's it's the best thing it's the best thing I ever could have done. You know, went went across to Galway. There was there was a bit of an injury crisis. Um, you know, got to learn off the likes of Michael Swift, Mike McCarthy, who was there at the time. Um, Andrew Brown and Dave Nolan, as I as I said, there was an injury crisis. They they were unlucky to be out with injury at the time, but seeing how they they approached their time on the sidelines was was a massive learning as well. And then I just, I just got to play played like seventy games over uh, the four or five four or five year period that I was there, um, which was which was invaluable at the age I was at. Um, doing that mixed in with with games for Clontarf. Uh, so you know there might have been I don't know there might have been well over hundred games during that period uh, of senior, senior either professional rugby or senior AIL rugby uh, when when the AIL was maybe at a at a slightly higher level to to where it is now um, and then the opportunity came to go back to Leinster um, got injured my last year in Connacht got a bad foot injury and um, so I was out. I was out for like 12 months with that, which made the, the initial time in Leinster a little bit tricky. Um, obviously, stayed in Leinster then for, I think it was, it was four years. Uh, dislocated my shoulder at the time, basically my last game for Leinster. Um, then the opportunity, Michael Bradley was in, was in Zebra. I was very lucky. He picked up the phone. He said, look, we'd, we'd love to have you. So I went over there with... Uh, with next Ulster man with Ian Nagel. We lived together over there for for two years and it was just it was just an unbelievable experience. Um just one of those one of those experiences that you'd 
that I suppose you'd only you'd only really dream of uh, in the sense that you know we're going into an Italian town, complete uh, naivety from us again in the sense that ah, we're thinking, geez, everyone over here will speak a bit of English now. We'll be grand, you know, we'll, we'll be fine. <laughs> That's my attitude as well, going anywhere. I know. <laughs> yeah. Which, which is funny, you know, because if an Italian arrived in Ireland <laughs> yeah. to work and they didn't speak any English, you'd be going, what's, what's going on with this fella? Completely, know? completely. I know. It's funny. <laughs> and you find, you find it, I suppose, settling in there, like you, you, you had Ian Nagel with you and that must have been a huge, huge help, you know, not only um, another Irish guy, but another fellow professional rugby player who's, uh, who you're able to, uh, I suppose hang around with and and makes the transition a wee bit easier. Oh, definitely, definitely. Like Nags is uh, he'd be he'd be one of my best mates even before he we went over. And um, you know, really enjoy each other's company. He's when he, when he's on, he's on from a like from a training and professionalism point of view. And then he's just got a great way about him in terms of when when we're not on, uh, we can we can just we can have a good time. You know. Uh, yeah, now in saying that, I don't know, I don't know how we didn't kill each other over that over that two year period. You know, being being in those times like we were in a bit of a lockdown, stuck in the apartment, and um, trying to find creative ways to, to keep our keep ourselves occupied in terms of putting competitions around the apartment and this kind of stuff. But uh, <laughs> uh, no, it was, it was it was a good time, and I couldn't, I actually couldn't couldn't think of a better fella to to be over there with um, yeah. for that period of time. I know that's tough. It doesn't matter how well you get on with someone to be stuck in an apartment for <laughs> for a substantial period of time. It's not easy. Um, so, and you were saying earlier about how you end up at Ulster, and I suppose the circumstances conspired that you you finished hopefully on a high. Would that be fair to say that you're, you know, a nice way to to cap off a, a really successful career? Oh, definitely, definitely, hundred percent. Um, like unbelievable group of guys as as i said earlier on and unbelievable pros like it's it's just it's just a special environment yeah you know um like everyone is just like from a from a coaching to to a player to you know to to a manager to to mick mick looking after logistics and and the bag the bag and the gear like it's just everyone is working at an unbelievably high capacity at an unbelievably professional level. And it's, it's a pleasure. It was a pleasure to be a part of for, for the last 12 months. Really, really enjoyable experience. That's so good. And just briefly, I suppose you've worked with lots of different coaches and leaders as well. Like you're talking about Leo Cullen and your sort of first stint at Leinster would have been there and thereabouts. Um, or sorry, he would have been obviously playing and and uh, unbelievable player. Uh, in terms of coaches and leaders that you've encountered at your different uh, clubs and uh, you've you've been around, who stands out? And maybe tell me a wee bit more about Dan McFarland and his style of coaching. And um, I, I suppose because we don't really get to see sort of how he operates. He seems like such a calm character whenever you see him interviewed in TV, but there must be a, there must be a spark and um, uh, I, I suppose a, an edge there from, from McFarland to get you guys motivated. No, definitely. Definitely. Like I've, I've known 
I've been lucky enough to know Dan for really for a pretty long time now. See, started off with him in Connacht, uh, well, well over a decade ago now, um, and he's he's really changed a lot in that time. Um, not not for not for better or worse. Um, he's always been an unbelievably technical coach, um, and he's he's a great man manager as well in terms of getting the best out of guys. Um, it, you know, I think this could have come with age now, but the the kind of rah rah, um, like banging the head against the wall, like shouting to get get guys up, it it can only really be used like once or twice a year. It'll only kind of get get guys up once or twice a year. But if it's used like eight or ten times a year, it it loses its its effect. It loses its substance in the group, you know. And Dan is, as I said. He's unbelievably knowledgeable, which is the first thing. So, like when he's when he speaks, everyone's aware that he's put the work in and he knows what he's talking about. And as well, he's great in the sense that he won't ask you to do anything that he doesn't think you can do. You know, so he'll he might say, Look, I'd like you, I'd like you to do X, Y, and Z here. And he'll actually say, I'll help you, I will coach you to be able to do this. Right. And I'm not asking you, I'm not saying that I'm not asking you to do this, like, because I don't think you can do it. Like he has a real belief in the group. And, you know, as you said, he, he comes across really calm and, and collected and in, in interviews and in front of the fans. But that's, that's very much what he's like day to day. You know, he will like all, like all leaders are all good coaches. He will fly off the handle every once in a while. But that's, I could be wrong, but that that looks it looks calculated to me. You know, he's it's it's a it's a planned thing. You know, to see see what kind of response he's he's maybe going to get from the group. You know, and he, he does it he does it in a brilliant way. Um, yeah. And in terms in terms of other environments, uh, from a from a player's point of view, the best best leader uh, best leader I've been around is is Easton Siwa. From a from a um, in terms of how he carried himself, in terms of how he spoke to the group, in terms of how he performed, um, he was he was just on on a different level. But you know, there's obviously guys in the other clubs I've been in that like were very very close to him. It's it's a personal preference from my point of view. In in Ulster, you know, like Ian Henderson, Al O'Connor, uh, Billy Burns. Ian Madigan, these guys, Cooney, like they're they're brilliant, brilliant leaders as well. Rob Herring, they lead the group unbelievably well. Um, but Bisa was probably for me, he was he was the best I'd seen. That's so interesting. Um, and as you say, uh, I, I suppose at Ulster we have this unique combination at the minute, which only it's only like sort of comes around once in a while where you have this blend of experience and leaders and youth. Um, and it sounds like there's a pretty good balance there at the minute. You know the guys you listed, um, other guys that you've you played with as well back in the day. There's Marty Moore's there as well. He's a winner. You know, um, came up through Leinster like yourself, or under twenties and all. And Jordy Murphy's there, and 
I mean, there's there's no shortage of of experienced guys, and uh, as you alluded to earlier, some of the young players coming through are unbelievable. So, um, just uh, as we sort of come to a, a close, a couple more questions for you, sort of more quick fire type questions. So, who's the best player that you've played with or against? We'll say with or against uh, Johnny Saxon. Uh, and is it too obvious to ask why? I suppose we all know how good he is, but is there anyone uh, for, about him stood out for you? He, he makes everyone around him better. I know that, that sounds, it sounds ridiculous, but he's just... like He literally says to you, if you do your job, you're in the right place, I'll make you look good. And he, he's not saying it in the cocky way, just the way he... The way he goes about it, the way he goes about things, like you know, watching games, watching Ireland games, Johnny obviously gets hit late, like 10 to 15 times a game. You know, he ends up the ball's gone and he's on the ground. And it's just because he's taken it so close to the line. He's literally at the defender when he's given the ball. Like I remember doing it in training, like he'd get the ball at the back of a shape off nine or whatever. He turned the corner. And he'd be like, to the point where it's actually impossible not to collide with him. And he'd just throw this ball. And, you know, someone would go through, like two lads would have picked out one defender. And someone would go through inside or outside that defender. And you're like, everyone's like, don't, don't take out Johnny, you know. Don't, you know, it's not in contact. What are you doing? It's like, well, actually, there's nothing I can actually do here, you know. <laughs> that's, but that's, that's what made him, that's just what made him so good. It just makes... Makes everyone around them better. Yeah, uh, long may I continue, and let's wrap him in cotton wool for the next few while till we get to the next World Cup, <laughs> because uh, he's a hard man to replace. And um, we've all heard, we all know as fans how good Johnny Sexton is. But fascinating to hear from that perspective, a guy who puts his body on the line, demands high standards from others, but but also demands those standards of himself as well. So really interesting. And finally, Mick, the, the question I have for you is, what next? What Have, have you any plans or is this a time to decompress? Uh, look up for once. Uh, all the hard work of professional rugby, putting your body on the line every week is done. What have you planned or is it is it just a time to relax and reassess? Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. Just just a bit of a time to to reflect, decompress, um, get this baby out, um, get get to get to know here she a little bit better. Um but yeah, just just looking forward to to a period of um I suppose chilling out and, and planning what's what's gonna happen next. There won't be I won't be rushing anything into anything in a hurry, but um yeah. But yeah, just you know, just think think about think about the last, I suppose, ten years and and all the good times that were had, and uh, and and support the lads, support the boys from afar over the next couple of weeks. Hopefully, they can do the business. Yeah, and and the all important question is, which province will you be supporting going forward? Zebra. <laughs> 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 very diplomatic answer well that you dodged that extremely carefully and respect for that so Mick thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure I can see why there was such an outpouring of affection you're a top lad and 
really appreciate the the chance to speak to you and and hear your perspective on on your your great career. So thanks again. Pete, thanks really for having me. All the best. <laughs>